Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I'm Sean Donahue. Today we've got a great show for you. We had an opportunity to interview Matt Polster, the, the Revolution midfielder that joined the team mid last season, coming over from Scotland from Rangers. Uh, we got a chance to talk to him about last year and what his expectations are for this season, as well as his interesting playing career to date, playing in both Scotland and with the Chicago Fire. Joining me today is Chris Valukas. Chris, how are you doing? Oh, doing fantastic. I had a great interview with Matt, like you said. Um, and yeah, everything's looking great. Revs are making signings. Uh, the Twitter feed has been active. So yeah, everything's great. Yeah. Also joining us today is Greg Johnstone. Greg, who's been having some uh, microphone problems today, including during the interview. Greg, how you doing today? Yeah, unfortunately to our listeners, you won't get to hear my soothing voice during the Matt Polster interview, but uh, you do get to hear me here. So, uh, you know, mixed bag. But we do have some Revolution signing news that we'll get to after the interview, and we'll get to hear uh, Greg's great voice for that. So, uh, but, but right now we'll play the, the Matt Polster interview, and then we'll be back after that with uh, some discussion of some of the Revs' new signings that have come up over the past week. We're joined today on Revolution Recap by New England Revolution midfielder Matt Polster, who came to the Revolution back in July. Matt, how's your offseason going? Yeah, it's going good. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me was just to finally see family on a consistent basis. Obviously, I know the boys were kind of in our own bubble in Boston, and to to get back and you know see family and some friends um, has it, been good. You know, I think it's good to get away from the game for a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's a little hard to believe given how long 2020 felt for everybody that you've only been with the Revolution now. For, I think today is actually the, the six-month mark exactly since you officially <laughs> signed for the team. Uh, now that you've settled in with the Revs um, and the Revs had that deep playoff run success last season, what's your expectations for the team this year? Yeah, I think the, the expectations are obviously high and they were the same as last year in terms of I think the main goal is always to make playoffs first and then and then push yourself and see how far you can go within that, that playoff run. And um, I think for, as a group, I think we're proud of what we put into it, but I think we're a little disappointed on the back end of it to not like pull through in the final conference final game against Columbus. So I know the boys are excited to get back to work and kind of make that um, wrong into a right. And last year was a bit of a roller coaster in terms of regular season results for the Rabbits, but it all seemed to come together just in time for the playoffs. Um, minus that last game, of course. What do you think were the keys to the team's playoff run, and, and you know what kind of came together right at the end of that season to make that happen? I think the biggest thing was just to kind of figure out, you know, formation, um, personnel. Um, it was obviously difficult. We picked up some people middle of the season, um, like myself, uh, Tommy Kakuda you know, guys coming in and um, it's hard to figure out what, what best work fits the team. And I thought, you know, we figured out the formation at the end. I thought Bruce and the staff did a good job of figuring out that formation, the four two three one, which I think suited us the best. And then um, I thought personnel wise, you know, it started to click a little bit, obviously getting Carlos back as well um, towards the playoff run obviously helps. Um, you need those types of players to um, put their, their, you know, change the game for you and make it difficult on the, the other team. And Carlos is one of those guys for us. And, and you mentioned all the, the midseason acquisitions. You were obviously a big one of those um, last year. How did the move to New England come together and what convinced you to join the Revs? I think the biggest 
uh, thing that convinced me was just playing for Bruce. Um, my agents called me and said, like, would you be interested in going back to the States? And a couple other teams came up. And um, when he told me New England was interested and Bruce wanted me to come in and play and be in play center mid, um, it sparked my interest immediately. And things kind of spiraled from there. Um, so I think that was the biggest it was more like a no-brainer for me to, you know, play consistently in my prime. I'm 27, and I wanted to play center mid, and to play for him, it was, yeah, it was a no-brainer. It was obviously a very kind of different year, given COVID and everything, and, and how transfers happened. From the the side of a player, was it harder to complete a transfer due to all of this stuff going on? It was definitely difficult from the standpoint of I was over in Scotland, so having to the time difference um, and then having to figure out, pack the place up, having to ship it. Um, Rangers and their front office did an incredible job helping me in that process um, in terms of just getting the shipping of my stuff back over to the States. Um, I didn't have to worry about that at all. So the transition was as smooth as it could have been definitely during the times of COVID. Um, but obviously then you have to go into quarantine. And then I was trying to get down to Florida for the uh, MLS's back tournament, couldn't do that. Um, so it was definitely a roller coaster of, a, of events, but in the end, I kind of it benefited me to just get my fitness levels up for when they came back from that tournament to just kind of slide into the team like as, as I did. So, and were you looking at all anywhere else in, in Europe, or were you focused on coming back to MLS, particularly given everything that was going on in the world at the time? Um, to be completely honest, I wasn't even looking to to make a move. I wanted to. I did want to stay at Rangers, um, but like I said, those couple teams came up. My agents called me, and when it was Bruce in New England, um, you know, that really piqued my interest. So that's why it even turned into something. I mean, because initially I didn't didn't expect to really leave, um, but because of the situation, it made sense for me to you know play more consistently and play for Bruce in New England at the time. And you've had a couple of opportunities in your career to participate in U.S. men's national team camp. You got a cap back in 2016. Do you hope to get back in the U.S. pitcher? And also, do you have any advice for your new teammates, Matt Turner and Henry Kessler, who are getting, getting some of their first shots right now? Yeah, of course I want to be back in the national team. I think anybody's uh, aspirations as a player is to play for your national team and represent your country. I think that's the biggest honor of all. Um, so for me to get back to that point, I just definitely need to put a, a really good season in together. and. I think it's part of on myself to play really well. And I think obviously when you, when you do well and your team does well, it gives you that little bit of a, a push to, to ask for that call, you know? So if we can kind of replicate what we did last year and go a little bit further and every, everybody does their job and we all play well, it just warrants a better shot of getting that call up. And I think the season has allowed, you know, Henry's done really well this season and or last season now. And, he definitely warrants that call up, obviously, Turner. I mean, I think he's one of the best goalkeepers in the league. So um, it was really a no-brainer for him to get the call up as well. And in terms of what to expect and maybe, like, motivation, I don't think you really need, like, any motivation other than to put on that jersey itself, you know? And to be in front of those coaches and be around those types of players at that level, it's, it's going to motivate them. Um, but yeah, I think just go have fun and enjoy that experience in those moments because they don't come around often and just don't take it for granted. Hey, Matt, this is Chris Lucas. Um, uh, you mentioned that uh, Bruce Arena was a uh, big role as far as you coming back to the revolution. Uh, just curious, what has it been like for you playing under Bruce Arena? 
Um, yeah, it's, it's different. Um, he has a different coaching style than what I have had in my, in the past. Um, I think back in Chicago, I had Ponovich who was really hand, like super hands-on, like stopped the session all the time and wanted to like impose what he wanted within that session. Um, Bruce is definitely more free flowing and allows the players to make those decisions. Obviously he will stop the session and say, you know, he wants something different, but he, he allows the player to kind of play free and um, lets us make those decisions, um, which I really like. And I think it benefits the players and to be more creative and as a team, you know, just a more free flowing uh, style of game. Well, and then you, you also mentioned that um, playing center mid was part of the reason that uh, Bruce was able to talk you into coming over back to the States. Uh, but we know that you also have experience playing right back. Obviously, it sounds like you have a preference playing uh, more defensive midfield, but care to elaborate on your choices between the two? Yeah, I think for me, um, through club days to college and then to my first year as a professional and even in the under-23 national game, um, I was just always a center mid. Um, that's where I feel the most comfortable and where I feel like I impact the game the most. Um, things kind of obviously change. I think that's why people, not that I can't play right back and I won't, it's not that I wouldn't do it. Of course I would do it for the team. And if that benefited the team the most, I would absolutely play right back to help us win games. Um, I think what transpired was the fact in Chicago, we, we signed Dax McCarty, Janino and Schweinsteiger. And I, we all know who those players are and they obviously have a lot of experience and knowledge and know how to win games and they're very commanding in the midfield. So to break into that midfield was very difficult. Um, my third year in Chicago when we signed all three. So the transition for me was to find a position where I could benefit the team. And that was right back. And I did that to the best of my ability at the time. And um, people like me there and not that I don't like playing it. I just, yeah, I just thoroughly enjoy playing midfield and, and I enjoy that position more. Awesome, yeah. Uh, and to double down on the midfield too, uh, the Revolution have made another acquisition this off season with uh, Wilfred Captoom. Do you have any thoughts on uh, Captoom and what he might bring to the team? Yeah, I think first and foremost, obviously a guy with a lot of experience over in uh, in Europe and in La Liga and playing at an extremely high level. I think that benefits us and incorporating guys that you know will push each other and making this team more competitive will make us a better team and not that i didn't think we were competitive this year within the squad but obviously bruce did say at the end of the year that he was going to make acquisitions to push players and make this team much more competitive and i said it when i first got here i wanted to play for a coach that i wanted to win so uh, i know he's going to go out in the market and try and get the best players possible to to push each other and to to win something Awesome. And if I can just rewind a little bit to going back to Rangers real quick, um, do you yep. have, uh, just looking for some insight, what led you to go into Scotland? How did that all transpire uh, going to play for Rangers there? Um, it's, it's interesting how it all transpired, obviously. Um, long story short, you know, I just, how do I even explain this? So Mike McGee was with Chicago, correct, when I was there. Um, he played with Steven Gerrard when he went to Galaxy. And obviously, Steven Gerrard was my role model at the time when I was younger, and I liked playing, and I wanted to, like, you know, be like him, kind of, you know? And I got the chance to 
meet him after one of our games, which he didn't play in um, because I think he was injured. Um, and, you know, we just kept in contact. And then when the time came, when he um, got the coaching job for Rangers, uh, reached out, my agent reached out, and we kind of just things spiraled from there. And, you know, things just kind of happened. And I was able to make a transition over to Scotland. So it sounds like you did get to know Stephen Gerrard, or at least met him prior to joining Rangers. And uh, you mentioned that he was someone you kind of grew up idolizing and wanted to, wanting to play like. What, what did you learn from Stephen Gerrard, particularly as a central midfielder, um, you know, being coached by one of the most legendary central midfielders in the game? Correct. Yeah. Um, learned a lot, definitely. Um, you know, how he, when I was over there, he had an incredible staff with Michael Beal and then uh, Gary McAllister. And, and those guys and himself just like really knew how to ask a lot of the midfielders to cover ground and to command the midfield and how to like dominate games through possession and positioning on the pitch. And I learned a lot of just, you know, from them individually, but like the expectations from them was just extremely high. And that pushed me when I was over there to come back and want to do the same here and, and bring those things that I've learned over in Scotland under Rangers, now to MLS with New England. And how does it compare playing in Scotland versus playing in MLS? There's obviously a per- perception from a lot of people that don't follow the league that um, it's really, you know, MLS is a very a league with a lot of parity, but there's a perception of Scotland that it's really, you know, Rangers and Celtic and everybody else. How, how do the two leagues compare as far as a player in them? Uh, I think it's it's tough to compare. I think obviously, like you said, the the fact that MLS is so well balanced in turn I mean it's tough to say it's balanced because obviously Seattle and Toronto were in the finals for what three years in a row so right tough to say that it's balanced as well but um in terms of that anything can kind of happen in MLS is I think what you're getting at and obviously over in Scotland it's it's a little different the expectation for both Celtic and Rangers is the fact that it's unacceptable to drop points or you just can't drop points because if you do then one of the other teams will capitalize on those lost points and the league kind of spirals from there. Um, it's extremely competitive over in Scotland. I think just as much as in, um, in MLS, obviously the biggest difference, like you said, is just the balance of the league is a little, is a lot different. Obviously the wages that Rangers and Celtic can pay is just not the same within the bottom half of the, the league in, in Scotland. So it's tough to compare. Obviously they do have better players and they have better facilities and, um, those things factor into why Rangers and Celtic are so good in, in Scotland. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of Rangers, do you still follow them? And it seems like they're having an incredible season right now. Do you think they can actually go unbeaten? Um, yeah, I've been following, obviously uh, it's, it's exciting for them. And, and I kind of, not that I expected it, but you could see that that staff with Steven Gerrard um, definitely have been building something for three years now. And it's coming to fruition where, they are dominating games on a consistent basis. They're keeping clean sheets. They're scoring a ton of goals. And you can see the belief within the squad that they're just going game, game by game and, and focusing on one, at one game at a time, and they're just winning consistently. Um, to, to say they'll go unbeaten, I don't know. You know, it's, it's tough to say. It's, it's, an, it's a very tough thing to go uh, unbeaten, but I think they are in a very good position to, to definitely win the league. And, and jumping back earlier quickly to um, your time in Chicago, you had the opportunity to play with Bastian Schweinsteiger. Um, wh- what was that like? What were your thoughts when, when you heard he was going there? And, you know, obviously just another kind of legendary central midfield player that you had an opportunity to, to play from and learn from. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's such an interesting guy, you know. When you when you have, like, big-name players coming to your locker room, I think that was one of the, obviously, the biggest one for us in Chicago. You just, you're not sure what to expect. And he was one of the most down-to-earth guys I've ever been uh, to be with in a team. And he was super cool, super open, um, wanted to help the team win and was there to, to help guide us. And I thought he did an incredible job of helping us get to the playoffs. And because I know in Chicago it was very difficult and we haven't done it for a while for him to come in and take that upon himself. Um, it says a lot about him. Um, but, yeah, what an interesting guy, man. Uh, I really enjoyed playing playing in Chicago with him. Um, and no, that's not there's not much more to say. He's just incredible, dude. So. And one last question for you uh, before we let you go. We've we've had a lot of people on the the podcast this year. Their current players or former players that have all had sort of interesting draft day stories. Um, we were wondering if, about yours. You know, you went seventh in in twenty fifteen in the Chicago Fire. Was that what you were expecting? Did you know Chicago was interested in you? And and how did you how did that day play out for you? It was definitely an interesting time. Obviously, the draft was. Going into the combine itself, I wasn't expected to really go um, seventh. Uh, I think I was more like a second or third round pick. Um, but I personally believe that was like I should have been up higher um, even going into it. And I think that kind of, you know, honestly pissed me off a bit. So going into the combine, I, I pushed myself and I thought I did really, really well in that in those games. And um I didn't expect to go seventh from the beginning, but then after having played all three games and doing really well, I could see the interest starting to build. And my agent was like, look, I think you're going to go top 10. I don't know where it is, but um, just be ready for anything. And when that happened, I called my dad immediately and my mom and said, you need to come to Philly. And things started to transpire from there. Um, when I got up to the podium, I honestly basically lost it because I, it was for me, it was what I've always dreamt of doing. And to finally, you know, be on the stage and say thanks to Chicago for taking the chance on me and my parents for always supporting me was uh, a really special moment for me and definitely one I won't forget. Um, it's a really cool experience to be a part of the draft and to finally make your dreams come true. So um, it's a it's an exciting moment for kids that have really pushed themselves from a young age to to get to this to this point. Do you think being a you know local kid at Southern Illinois has helped you get noticed by Chicago? Uh, not necessarily. I think obviously it's not a huge school, but I thought we did well in, in respect to what the type of players we had at the time. And, um, they're starting to do much better now. They're making, um, the tournament more consistently. And, um, I think that's going to help kids at that, at that school specifically get noticed a little bit more. Uh, I think obviously it's a little bit easier for Chicago to come to my games because of how close it is, but uh, I think things just kind of transpired. Um, I think I could have easily gone to, I think it was eighth was Houston. I think Houston was interested as well. So I'm not sure if that was part of the play, like Chicago being so close, but obviously when I went to Chicago, people thought I was from Illinois and I'm really from Las Vegas. So <laughs> it was just interesting. It was, it was funny at the time, but I kept telling people, I'm like, I'm really not from Illinois, but I've been, I lived there for eight years in a row. So it definitely feels like home in a bit in a way you know thanks matt we really appreciate your time and, and best of luck this season thanks appreciate it guys and that was revolution midfielder matt polster 
with his thoughts on the past season, the upcoming year, and his career so far. Thanks so much to Matt again for joining us. Um, well, we're going to jump in now to talk quickly about the signings the Revolution have made over the past week. There have been a couple of them. Both A.J. De La Garza, MLS veteran, 33 years old, who played for Bruce Arena at the L.A. Galaxy and has bounced around a bit since uh, with Houston, Miami, um, has, is coming to the Revolution as a free agent. Uh, and on top of that, Emmanuel Boateng, another former player of Bruce Arena's at the Galaxy, 26-year-old winger, will be joining the Revolution. Let's start really quickly with A.J. De La Garza. I'm curious what both of your what both of your thoughts are on that signing. A versatile veteran defender. Chris, what do you think he brings to the team? What do you think his role might be this season for the Revs? So I'm looking at the De La Garza signing, and I think it's a good move when we're looking at depth. Uh, we definitely need some more pieces at center back. Um, my concern still, of course, it, I, I sound like a broken record at this time. My concern is always going to be with height, especially when you're looking at that position. Uh, we have Henry Kessler, who's six foot four, but other than that, there's no other center backs on this roster that are over six foot. You know, and De La Garza is five foot nine, which is going to be a trouble point, basically, uh, in any aerial challenges or any aerial battles that he might come into. Um, I do think it is more of a depth piece, so it's not going to be a recurring issue that's going to happen all the time. I like having the veteran presence in there and maybe helping out some of the younger guys, getting them more integrated into the MLS game. Um, so I think it's a good signing, but I don't think, you know, nothing flashy about it. And having just that veteran presence, I think, is really what I'm taking away from it as uh, the positive. Yeah, I think not a flashy signing is a good way to put it. He is a veteran presence. I, I think that's always a good thing to have. I think having veteran defenders who can play multiple positions, it's kind of hard to be negative about this signing. It is a little bit confusing because, in my mind, I think the Revs are pretty set at outside back between Bootner and Mafla on the left, uh, and then Dewan Jones at the left, and then Brandon By, Tayon, Jones can play there, Polster can play there on the right side. So... To me, this seems like a depth center back signing, that that's where De La Garza is expected to play. And that's a little confusing to me. He's 5'9". He kind of has the mold of more of an outside back. Um, but, you know, maybe they kind of view him as an Andrew Farrell type who kind of moves inward and plays center back kind of towards the middle slash end of their career. Um, not to say Farrell is at his end of, end of his career, but kind of the same type of thing. And in that kind of sense, if you view him just as a backup center back, I think I would have rather have had Tony De La Mea um, or, you know, maybe I, I guess it wasn't really someone who I was kind of expecting to be just a, you know, backup center back. Um, when, when I was thinking of center back depth, this isn't exactly the guy that I had in mind. So kind of mixed reactions. I, I feel like, you know, he's a good piece to have. As I say, he's a versatile player and he can bring a lot of things. I, I just wonder if that's really what the Revs need right now since they're so set at outside back. Yeah, honestly, I was surprised that Bruce Arena didn't make this signing in the last offseason when he was a free agent um, rather than him going to Inter-Miami. But it doesn't surprise me that Bruce Arena signed a guy that he's you know very comfortable with. And I, they did need depth across the back line, particularly at center back with, you know, De La May and Mancien presumably not coming back. And then, you know, you look at the right back situation. I, I think Bruce Arena might still have some question marks there. He didn't seem to be completely sold on Brandon Bay based on him moving to Dewan Jones late in the season. And then maybe this is a sign that Tejan Buchanan goes back to being a winger. But e either way, I don't think A.J. De La Garza is going to be particularly expensive. I think he's probably going to end up costing less than De La Maya did. And he can play, you know, every position across the back line. So it, it makes it's kind of a no brainer to me to add a, a veteran player that doesn't take up an international roster spot and can play across the back line. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't expect him to be an everyday starter. I'd expect him to be more of a rotation piece, but I think it's a good move for the revolution. And, and otherwise I'd echo you know, both of your thoughts. 
but I think I think that's probably about all there is to say on AJ De La Garza. Uh, so we'll move on to Emmanuel Boateng. Um, you know, younger guy that can play on the wing. You know, the Revolution have lost some depth pieces there as far as Christian Pena being gone, Diego Fagundes being gone, Kuda Mane being gone. Greg, what are your thoughts on the Emmanuel Boateng signing? And, you know, what do you think his role will be with this team? My my initial reaction was this is Kakuta Mane's replacement, um, and I certainly hope he makes more of an impact than Kakuta Mane. Not the, not to say anything about Mane's ability, he certainly showed some flashes when he was on the field, but um, I, I don't think we saw enough of Mane. Uh, and I think uh, we're going to see kind of a similar role for uh, Boateng of come off the bench, uh, kind of a speedster that kind of burns down the wings uh, and kind of attacks those tired legs. Um, I, I think he's a good fit for that role, and similar to the De La Garza signing, um, you know, this is going to not cost you an international roster spot it's a i don't want to say a cheap signing but it's not going to break the bank the revs still have some money to play with after this um so to me this is just another really solid piece of the puzzle it's not going to improve their mls cup odds uh but it certainly will boost the depth on the bench uh that can help in late game scenarios which i think the revs kind of struggle with particularly at the the beginning of last season um and i think bruce bruce knows the value of a deep bench uh, and this is certainly going to improve that yeah, no, I, I definitely want to echo that. It's a, a depth signing. I, I don't see Emmanuel Boateng getting a lot of first 11 minutes. Uh, he is, you know, entering the prime of his career. So, you know, maybe he is still, he has still got some more room for improvement. Um, but yeah, both of you are, are hitting the nail on the head with this one. Uh, he's he's a pesky player. He's fast. Uh, he has the ability to score some goals. He's kind of streaky with that. Uh, I have watched him quite a bit when he played uh, for LA Galaxy previously. I remember seeing him and thinking I don't ever want to come up against him if I was a defender because he is he is that type of uh, player with the ball on his feet. Um, similar to the De La Garza piece, it's 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 exciting. It's a bit more exciting, I guess, than De La Garza, but it's still it's still not that wow factor that we are waiting on to happen. But I am very happy to see Boateng in a Revs kit and not any other kit. Yeah, and just, you know, with Greg's comparison to Manny, I, I kind of see him as a as a similar fit in the Revolution's lineup, and there's more of an opening to it because Diego's now gone and Christian Pena's now gone. But salary-wise, you know, they're same age as, as uh, Manny. I think he's, you know, I think Boateng's a few months older than him. Um, but salary-wise, I think Manny was making something like 400000 or close to it in 2019, and Boateng was making half of that at 185000 So, you know, there was talk that maybe the revolution would go and bring Manny back at a lower salary. I think whatever that lower salary was, they probably signed Boateng for for less than what you could have gotten for Manny. Um, I'm curious to see what he can offer. There's there's no question there's you know a little bit of a lack of depth for the revolution on the wings right now. So it makes sense to sign somebody for that position. Like with AJ De La Garza, I don't think he's going to be an everyday player. I think he's going to be... Uh, you know, a, a rotational guy. And I, I always like having speedy wingers on the bench. You know, maybe it's the FIFA player in me, but I always like having speedy wingers on the bench to run at tired defenses. And, and Boateng is absolutely that. So I, I, I'm very curious to see how he plays a role in Bruce Arena's lineup this season. But it's it's good to have more options on the wing because the revolution were, were short there. Um, and on that note, we, we did talk about Diego Fagundes. Uh, he has signed for Austin. Um, he will not be rejoining the revolution. I think we'll spend more time on that in another week. I think Diego deserves more time because of what a big party was of this team. Um, and I, I would also be a good one to ask listeners for their questions on. But uh, that is the the big news of the week. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Chris, can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media and, and how to follow you when you're not doing a podcast? Yeah, of course. Uh, if you find me at uh, Revolt over on Twitter, also on Instagram with that same handle. Uh, and then I also live stream on Twitch uh, slash Revs Revolt. And, and Greg, can you give out the uh, Revolution recap handles? 
Yeah, you can follow us at Revolution Recap on Twitter. You can also like our Revolution Recap Facebook page. And, by the way, I have my personal Twitter back. My one-year hiatus from Twitter from my personal account is gone. Uh, so you can follow me personally at uh, Real G Johnstone, just to you know separate myself from all the other Greg Johnstones out there. And you can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. Before we wrap things up, did anybody have any last last thoughts? Uh, the Revs just tweeted out a photo of uh, – we're, we're recording this on Friday afternoon. And the Revs tweeted out, it looks like Carly's Heel's jersey with an armband, and there's no caption. So we might have some news on Carly's Heel coming out. Um, if that's the case, uh, I mean, it's a little annoying, but I guess we'll talk about it next week. But uh, just just before anyone tweets us asking why we didn't uh, tweet about any you know any significant news between uh, Friday and Sunday, that's why. Yeah, with the, with the tweet of that kid, I'm also looking at it and saying, what's our new kit going to be? So that's something that I'm wondering about that uh, I can't wait to talk about. So that's my final thought. Well, ho- hopefully we'll have more news on all of that for the next episode. <laughs> Look forward to that one. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Um, and again, we don't know exactly when we'll be back, but next time there's big news worth talking about, we'll be sure to release another podcast.